UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I think you guys are going to be really fascinated today. Um, I was just saying before the show, I have a fascinating guest who has a really um, niche area. She studies the dream world, but she also studies ancient history and she mixes the two. And who I have with me is Sarah Janes. She's been an enthusiastic lucid dreamer since childhood, and she's written about dreams, dream culture, and the anthropology of dreaming on a number of academic journals, the Elder Magazine, and more. She has given talks on the subject of dreaming at conferences, festivals, and events all over Europe and hosts her own online Egyptology lectures series and explores Egyptology in which she has had many esteemed Egyptologists and ancient history scholars and experts as guests. Um, and I want to, and I want to give her a big warm welcome to the show. Sarah, thank you for joining me. How are you? Very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's quite good because it's midnight here. So the background town, like the town noise is really quiet. So it's actually quite a good time to do podcasts. It looks really, it looks really, um, it looks like a great setting for a podcast right now. So, um, but it's, it, I think it sets the mood. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you to start off is how did you get interested in lucid dreaming? Were you always a lucid dreamer? I think so. Like ever since I was a kid, I've had really good lucid dreams. I've been able to be aware of the fact that I'm dreaming. Um, I like a lot of lucid dreamers. Um, one, I mean, I, I don't, I've never really had a lot of nightmares, but I do remember this dream um, as a child of being chased. And I remember becoming lucid finally in that kind of recurring dream. It was always like different different things chasing me and eventually it was transformers you know the cartoon transformers yeah and i remember thinking that i had found a really great hiding space under the tarpauling of this boat and i remember thinking to myself like they'll never be able to find me because this only i know this hiding spot is such a great hiding spot and then when they found me i had this epiphany that they must be an aspect of myself because they were able to find me and then i never had those chasing dreams again and i think that that I remember having lucid dreams before that as well, but that really struck me as being like a different quality dream. Do you study all that? Like, what do you think the, 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 the chasing dreams are? Because I've had those and I've had falling dreams too a lot. And like, I've had other people remark on it, but I'd, I'd love to hear what you think. For me, I think the running away may have been, for me personally, secrets. I was a very secretive child and I remember just feeling like I couldn't really tell people what my thoughts and feelings were and that running away is trying to escape um revealing yourself perhaps to people hiding is trying to hide yourself away so um for me it felt like 
keeping secrets and I used to have those dreams quite a lot when I was very young um and then there there are certain other dreams as well that are quite common uh for kids to experience and I think that nightmares is often the way people get into lucid dreaming because they're one of those experiences that because you're so terrified a lot of kids will train themselves to wake up at that point and they'll decide to wake up out of it but if you decide to just not be scared and confront the scary thing in the dream then that's how you can cultivate really strong lucid awareness in a dream yeah no i'm i'm a i'm a frequent i do binaural beats like the hemisync the robert like robert monroe i try to go out of body all the time and i i really feel i'd love to get your opinion i really feel like there's a difference between astral travel and lucid dreaming but it's it's a similar state it seems like but like i truly feel like we can pop out of body like i've gotten the vibrations before like where i was about to pop out of body i haven't completely where i popped out of my body and i'm soaring all around the universe and everything like that but i've heard stories of people that were like robert monroe for, for example like do you see a difference in these two worlds or do you think there's a place where they kind of mesh and collide or what are your thoughts my thoughts are that you know every every experience of our consciousness i, I don't think can be defined as you know it can't be it can't fit into a box so i think a lot of these experiences are blended and they are kind of composed of various qualia that give them certain um qualities that other experiences might not with with regards to lucid dreaming i do see a lot of parallels with things like the near death experience and with out of body experiences i see a lot of parallels with false awakening type lucid dreams as well because i had a lot of experiences as a kid of having these uh, false awakening out of body type experiences where I had a cabin bed when I was a kid. And um, when my mum and dad used to come and wake me up, I didn't want to get out of bed. So I would kind of send myself out of my body and I would be getting, or I'd think I was getting dressed for like a good few minutes. And then I'd realize I was still in bed and it, it felt very much like I'd come out of my body then. And I do think there's a component in the near death experience and the fear death experience where you're not necessarily gonna die um, or about to die, or there isn't any real threat of dying, but you're so absolutely terrified where you kind of project yourself beyond your physical body. So my, my um, I guess my idea of all of these experiences is that, I don't believe that consciousness is located or generated from within the body. I believe more in a kind of field of consciousness and that we're able to expand beyond our physical bodies into a more collective conscious experience. So to me, that kind of can fit any conceivable out-of-body type experience, lucid dream, um, anything, because I think that, you know, as a planet, as a cosmos, we're all interconnected and time is relative to our planet and to the cycles of our planet and to our own circadian rhythms when it comes to sleep and dreams as well. So I do think there's something about um, non-local consciousness, maybe, maybe that's occurring in all of those um, instances. I know there are there are definite points with something like a, a classic astral traveling experience or an out of body experience in a lucid dream that um, neuroscientists and spiritual scientists would say there are these different, definite um, categories. But I think ultimately it all comes down to the malleable nature of reality as a whole. 
Yeah, and, and that, that's what I was going to say. Do you ever, I, I've, I've asked this to so many people when we talk about dreams. So I hope my audience, when I when I play this, don't get upset about it, but I don't think they will because I have to ask you this because you're a dream expert. Like I've had dreams where I'll feel like I'm in another reality for like, you know, like the dream feels like I'm living another life for like a whole week of that. But then I'll wake up and it's only been an eight hour sleep. Like it's very strange. And it's like the people, I know these people in the dream and like, I have a life and I, I like, I don't have kids in this life, you know, but in this other, in this dream or in this, it seems like a parallel reality. I'll have kids and I know who they are. And like, you know, and you can smell the bread in the oven and it's just, and if there's a girl that you can smell her perfume, I mean, it almost seems like it's another reality. Would you say that that has to do with consciousness and like that we don't understand the whole spectrum of what consciousness is and maybe these are some kind of other reality or what are your thoughts on that? Or do you think that's just our mind doing something? I don't know. I'm well, I think this is- I think this is the problem with um, modern science and then this kind of new wave of spiritual science that's happening at the moment with um, healers talking about a particular way that the world functions. I think it can be both. You know, there's obviously neurophysiological and physical aspects to these experiences that there's always going to be a um, brainwave pattern for example for any conceivable experience you could have with something like that I mean I have a friend who um, was actually compelled to move to Japan after dreaming she was a Japanese woman living in Japan consistently and I think you know it reminds me a little bit of that um, Star Trek episode I don't know if you like Star Trek but the uh, Next Generation series there's an episode where Picard gets probed by um <laughs> <laughs> a a probe but from another planet and during this probing he's out for only a few seconds I think but he has this entire experience of a whole other lifetime where he has a wife and children and he grows old and then he comes around I mean the interesting thing with dreaming is lucid dreaming actually you generally experience um, parallel to your experience of time in waking consciousness so because brain regions and your sort of cognitive faculties during a lucid dream are so similar to the waking state in lots of ways you actually experience time in a similar way but what I would say is within dreams I don't think dreams aren't this linear structure they're more like this um generative matrix where everything's happening almost simultaneously and we try to make sense of it by making it linear when we wake up in the morning but actually it almost functions a bit like my friend was watching an AI film recently and he said, this is the closest it, that it comes to kind of presenting the way a dream works on film and looking at it because it's kind of works by suggestion. It's constantly suggested. Oh, your, your mic went out. It's, you're very rarely stationary in a dream. The movement aspect of it seems to be really important. Yeah. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. It, it went out for a second. I didn't know what to do. I was just like, <laughs> but um, you're, you're good. Can you hear me okay now? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, I don't know what happened then. Uh, one thing I wanted okay. to mention though is I didn't know what you thought about this. I or I don't know what you think about it. It's um, when I listen to it, yeah. all our bells. So, um, so it's interesting. It's interesting how, yeah. 
go ahead. I can hear you okay. I, I, I you were cutting out, but, but you're good now. Okay. Yeah, sorry, carry on with what you were saying. Oh, oh, okay. So what I was saying was like, when I listened to this old Art Bell show, he had on this Native American elder and this Native American elder was saying that dream time is like eight to, eight to one time, our time. Now I don't, but you just said that the dream time is similar to our waking state. So which is it? I'm confused. Is it or is it like faster? No, I don't think it's about um, the duration of time as much as a sort of expansion or contraction of time. So with lucid dreaming, scientists have done research with dreamers in sleep labs and established that they can track time and time seems to parallel time in the waking state but what is apparent in the lucid dream state that i've noticed myself is although time is occurring in parallel with your waking reality time your experience of time is expanded because you're experiencing time from multiple perspectives so one thing i always say about lucid dreaming in particular is you become very aware when you're in a lucid dream that you're not just the dreaming avatar version of yourself you're not just seeing the world from one avatar's perspective you're actually fully conscious of being the entire world so therefore we're not experiencing time from one perspective we're experiencing time from every conceivable atom of that dream space so it feels massive and it feels expansive um but i think this is the thing with dreaming is it isn't about um a linear process we kind of we create a linear process by trying to make sense of it at the end but it's more like a kind of self-generating tapestry that's interesting. That's so interesting. Now, before we get into the ancient stuff, I wanted to ask you, what is dream incubation? So dream incubation in terms of the the technique used in the ancient world is simply any set of rituals or ritual to engender a specific dream, a desired dream. And in the modern world, it's basically setting an intention to have a specific dream. And in the ancient world, there were certain places you would go specifically to incubate a dream, places that were seen as sacred precincts of deities. And if you slept there, you were thought to have a, a dream where they could um, make contact with you in some way. That's amazing. Um, what, what, what were the ancient traditions related to dreams? So I think there have been traditions around dreaming or rituals around dreaming since the beginning of humanity really and even if you look at things like stone age art um, paleolithic neolithic art you can see that there is this idea of an afterlife and for me um you know one of the most amazing things about dreaming is that it allows access to contact deceased loved ones and ancestors because often people have dreams about people that they love that have died and those experiences and those contacts feel very, very real. So it's only in our materialist era that we think that these aren't genuine contacts with deceased loved ones. I think our ancestors would have believed that this was absolute proof and evidence of there being some continuation after death. And one of the ways, and because dreaming offered one of the few portals to this other place where the deceased were continuing in some way shape or form um 
people purposefully slept on top of graves, tombs in necropolis, in necropolis, and they wanted to dream with their ancestors. And there was this idea um, from the most ancient times, but certainly there's written and textual evidence for it in the ancient Near East, that the underworld, the place where the dead went, was somewhere where you could go to learn the future. And so often you would want to make contact with your deceased loved ones or your ancestors to learn about the future. That's so interesting. Um, I'd love to hear all about, now, I, I love, uh, I think I told you this before the show, I love hearing about like the different ancient cultures and what they did, like especially Egypt, Greece, Sumer. Um, I mean, like my ethnic background is, is similar to those cultures. So um, I, I really like dig it. But um, what, I'll just talk about Greece. Like who was the Greek God? I know I listened to your Coast to Coast show and you referenced, or I think it was a God or Goddess that was related to dreams and lucid dreaming so um asclepius was the god that was seen as being a dream physician essentially and he was this supernatural healer he was kind of a precursor to jesus because he was a miracle worker and a supernatural healer and he was the son of a god and um the son of a mortal princess called coronis his father was apollo and um he was his symbol was the serpent entwined around a rod and you would visit his sanctuaries which were basically like halip and dream sanctuaries where you would incubate you would go through a variety of different rituals that essentially combined tharsis and sort of expressive an emotional maybe even drama because there were theaters in sanctuaries they were like huge um when you slept earthly terrestrial home of the god he could come into your dream and he might perform some sort of physically impossible operation on you perhaps he might apply a healing balm in the dream but that divine contact could act as a catalyst i think for a kind of endogenous self-healing mechanism to be kicked off much in the same way that a placebo or faith healing response occurs that's so interesting but what i wanted to bring up about asclepius is i i know him from um the um the i think graham hancock talks about it um his uh speech with or hermes hermes is talking to asclepius about egypt right mm -hmm. that's what i thought i thought that's a, that's a famous like uh uh thing um yeah now what about the egyptians did their culture did they differ from the greeks at all i mean i know those cultures intertwined a lot like and you know i, I know for for example like you know if you go back to the times of alexander the great like um after alexander died you know his generals like took over different parts of his empire and i know the ptolemies got um egypt so I know that there was like a heavy Greek influence in Egypt and then a, a heavy Egyptian influence in Greek. And they would probably pray to the same gods. Were there, were their dream, yeah. were their dream cultures similar? Um, I think that even in deepest prehistory that there was always this idea that dreams were, um, could reveal the future, could help you connect with divine beings and dead people. And that's a kind of consistent three pronged, effect of dreaming and there was always this idea from the earliest times that if you slept to a temple that was 
are dedicated to a particular god this idea of temple sleep that that's the place that you would go to have a sacred dream so in egypt they had similar um rituals and then um during the ptolemaic period and uh, the greek roman the greco-roman period um asclepius becomes syncretized with imhotep who became this deified um priest and the the sort of go-to miracle worker dream healer and that's attested on like a number of stila that he had this power in particular it seems to uh, affect issues of fertility so if you wanted a baby you would go and pray to imhotep that's interesting. Now, when they would go to these temples, would they ever try any like psychedelics of that time to induce a dream state? Um, almost certainly opium was quite um, frequently used. And this is interesting because a lot of the the kind of sanctuaries where you would sleep, the kind of dormitories where people would sleep together for the sacred sleeps because one thing that you've got to think about as well is it's not like a kind of hotel when you go into your separate bedrooms and you have a full night's sleep it's more like this sacred sleep has a special quality it's called enchoimesis and if you're using opium and it may have been like a fumigation of opium so they may have been burning um opium in burners and so there could have been smoke filled spaces that this entire crowd would be lifted up on this kind of euphoric cloud. And perhaps there was also elements of um, psychodrama employed or hypnotic suggestion where maybe temple attendants were acting out the roles of Asclepius and his family. And in your opium um, befuddled mind you would think that the gods and his family were really there so there could have been a bit of kind of psychodrama in in that respect but it's hard to know because actually what went on in sleep temples although it's better documented than something like the mysteries of Alephsis it's um it was still treated as a kind of mystery or an initiation in some sort when people went to the sleep temples often they were dressing white swaddling or white robes and and when you came out you were wearing this white swaddling and it was a sort of symbol of being reborn because the process of going to that sleep temple because there was this idea in the ancient world of health being about harmony uh Asclepius, the dream god, his his frequent attendant is Telesphorus, who is this little dwarf character that you often see him depicted with. And Telesphorus means kind of bringing back to perfection. And there's this idea that human beings are born perfect in some senses, in terms of health, in terms of the right balance, and in terms of being in harmony with nature. And disease um, is because of nefarious outside influences. So to bring health back into the body, you need to um, repel any nefarious outside influences because this idea of disease as well being sent by the gods means that it can be removed from the gods too. So if you make the right offerings, whatever the gods have given you can be taken away because just like in um, the ancient Near East as well, there's very much this idea that um, illness is caused by your gods um, being annoyed with you for some reason, like you've done something to annoy your gods and therefore they've sent you a disease. So you need to, um, you need to petition them to win their favor back. 
what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like they're that they that the, the Greeks like walked with the gods? I know that like I'll just give you like I know Gerald Clark. He was like an Anunnaki researcher, but he he thought that maybe there were that like the, the Sumerians maybe walked with the gods, and he thought maybe the Greeks actually walked with the gods. But then he thought that this is just him. He thought that by the time that it got to like where Rome was taking over, that they kind of just borrowed from the Greek gods, and then but the Greeks could have just copied the Sumer gods, you know it just it all depends on the pantheon but um i i we don't, i know we don't have any concrete evidence of the go- gods walking with men it seems like in sumer we do with the anunnaki but like i don't know what are your thoughts on all that my you know during the course of research for my book i've come to the conclusion that it basically all comes from the stars and it all comes from this idea that the stars are divine beings and in the ancient near east it's absolutely spelled out that the gods themselves are star beings and if you look at something like um, the Assyriologist Erica Rayner coined this term astral irradiation so one of the magical techniques for healing in ancient Mesopotamia is to lie charms amulets even whole people underneath the stars at night for healing because the gods themselves are the stars and therefore, if their light shines on a human body, on a charm or an amulet, they can they can influence that charm and amulet. They can heal that person. So I think if you look at things like that, it looks like there's just, you know, I, I think it comes from this sense of deep entanglement that ancient people felt with the entire cosmos. They had this access to a collective mind that we no longer have access to because we've taken this individualistic route and we've separated ourselves from the natural world and i think that the way human consciousness has evolved can be tracked alongside developments in technology culture and social habits so even if you look at i'm very interested in how material culture affects consciousness and if you look at something like the invention of the mirror which some of the earliest examples of mirrors come from ancient anatolia so um, not too far away from the the creation of somewhere like Gobekli Tepe. They were about 9,000 years old, some of the oldest ones, and they were found in Chatelhoyak. And um, if you look at something like the mirror, we take it for granted that every single day we see a self-image, we see a reflection of ourselves, people take photographs of us. But ancient people weren't always looking at themselves, so they felt more connected with the world around them. They felt less... Um, self-conscious they felt part of the kind of flow of the natural order and you know I don't think we can underestimate just how much light pollution affects our lives in terms of we never see the stars and the stars when you go to anywhere that's a dark sky region you recognize the sort of splendor of the stars and I think ancient people would have recognized the eternity that the stars suggests because they outlast many many human lifetimes they they help to um, navigate they've been used for navigation for millennia and um, if you look at a culture like say the first nations of the people of australia they have a star law which probably goes back seventy thousand years so it's the oldest culture on the planet i think that they are the people that know these secrets about the dreaming and the interconnectedness of everything. And they view the world as being this continuum of consciousness. And I think that's much closer to the way that our ancient ancestors viewed themselves and the world just as a continuum of consciousness. And by 
believing and feeling that, then I think that it would have been true for them as well. That's awesome. I, I would say you made me think about mirrors, though. Like I, I, I study like ma magic, obviously, and I, I've listened to a lot of people over the years, and I've heard a Native American elder say that mirrors can actually trap thoughts, and I've, I've heard like. Uh, a witch at times say that people use mirrors for different kinds of magic, like scrying. I'm sure you've heard of that. So like mirrors are very strange. Like that's, that's, that's interesting that you say that they went back that far to um, ancient history. Were they practicing like those kind of things that had to, all that stuff I just mentioned that had to come from the ancients because it's, it's like you said, they were more tuned in. So they probably were more tuned into magic as well. Would you say, I mean, yeah. the, the Egyptian book of the dead kind of says that, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. With regards to those ancient Anatolian mirrors, they're 9,000 year years old. When we get to the first kind of cultures in Anatolia that are making, um, you know, creating texts, um, the mirror is an item of prestige. It is a tool of sorcery, especially for women. Um, it's a sign of feminine power and magic and sorcery. And women were the kind of, premier dream interpreters and in anatolia they have this very rich culture of um old women being seers and prophetesses and um oracles and um when the hittites took over hattiland they tried to get rid of the old women because they had so much influence in the country but they found that they couldn't do without their wisdom and guidance so they became important members of the court or sort of barely tolerated in some instances because they um, resented how much power they had. But it was this like fantastic network of women that came from all over Anatolia and they were all, you know, there was this craft and there was this tradition of female sorcery and magic. And the tools for these women were mirrors and a spindle. And so to me, you know, a lot gets talked about in terms of ancient cultures about fertility figures and this divine feminine character. But I think for me, like this idea really is about uh, the creatrix of the universe being female because women give birth to life on earth and therefore surely they are the generative femininity is the generative force in the universe as well. And if a female creates life, then surely they also are involved when that life ends or when that person is delivered into the afterlife. So I think there's this idea of a midlife, uh, a sort of midwife for death, that this female character, you know, takes the form of, of this um, psychopomp leading the dying into the underworld and the afterlife as well. Well, wasn't it true that like uh, ancient studies go back that there was once they worshipped the god? I, I know I've talked to a couple of different people about this, that the, the, the worship of the goddess was how it used to be. And then this kind of masculine force kind of came in and kind of um, kind of switched that around and started making the 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 the, the main gods men. But you always had like gods like Inanna and then Herzog and Athena. And but it seemed like they weren't valued as highly as the male gods and I, I think that kind of got diverted somewhere because i think in, in more ancient cultures they used to worship the goddess is that true yeah mostly there i mean in anatolia and in um india in the indus valley there was definitely this creatrix figure in manoa we have a sun goddess so women were identical you know female entities were associated with the sun and then um 
Ra is a generally seen as being a male god in the Egyptian religious um, pantheon. So it it fluctuates and it changes. And I think that, you know, religions, religions form in response to so many different factors, you know, where, where a people find themselves, a religion and the gods and the divine beings come out of um you know the geology the landscape the access to resources like the the whole kind of mental and um imaginal mythological structure of a religion has all these contributing factors that i think people underestimate and you know this is why um dots can get joined sometimes that may just be part of the sort of natural human fabric of way of seeing the world kind of comes down to whereabouts in the world you are. Yeah. And, and I was going to ask, I think we kind of kind of covered this, but I, it's, why do you think the ancients were so tapped into like the esoteric? Like, do you think technology has taken us away from being so tapped into the esoteric? Yeah, I'm hoping there's going to be a kind of renaissance. There's been this new interest in psychedelics as, um, you know, delivering this transcendental experience of the numinous, whatever you want to call it, the the value of spiritual transcendent experience is starting to be appreciated. You know, when we went down this materialistic um, sort of scientific dogma route, we we kind of thought that we wouldn't need religion and we wouldn't need spirituality but actually i think a lot of people are coming to the conclusion that life is rather empty without an a outlet for divine inspiration for um adoration of some divine other for this sense of something greater than yourself you know yeah so so um yeah i think that I think that dreaming is is just about to undergo the same sort of renaissance that psychedelics have previously. I think that people are going to start viewing offline time as a treat and a, as a novelty. And, you know, if we can find some way to monetize being offline, <laughs> that would be even better. But basically, I think that people surely are getting bored by the internet and this kind of like constant media connection and they're going to start valuing time away from the online world and i think dreaming i think virtual reality actually is something that could like accidentally um increase lucid dreaming experiences for people because the experience of being a phone so um I actually think that might promote a a kind of side effect, a um, Oh shit, you cut out. Are you still there? So you froze. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it must be that because we're going country to country connection that has to be what it is but i can't what was the last thing you said um i just said that i think dreams are due the same kind of renaissance that psychedelics have had you know i think that we're starting to appreciate now 
that we need this kind of spiritual divine aspect to life. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. I, and you said, one of the things I heard you say was that um, if we could find a way to monetize that, I think the be- the person who best did that for, for but where people can get their most value for it is Robert Monroe and the Monroe Institute. We have a couple of them here in the States. Like, well, I know there's like the main one in Virginia, you know, which I'd love to go to, you know, and it's weird. I used to go down to Virginia beach all the time. And like, I would go for surfing and stuff like that. But like, um, I've never went to the Monroe Institute and I practice his hemi-sync beats like all the time. Like I read, I have journeys out of the body. I love it. You know, I'm, I'm really, and I think, I think like, like you said that like, there's going to be, I think there's a, a, an overall more interest in spirituality in general. And I think dreams are going to kind of go with that. I, th- I think it's only, I think it's only, um, right for someone to want to experience another part of their consciousness that they don't really understand yet but it's also it's so very interesting right yeah I mean when I talk to when I have workshops and stuff and I talk to a lot of people about their dream experiences and some people say to me I never remember my dreams so you think about you know someone who says they never remember their dreams they've never had amazing mind-blowing lucid dream they just don't know what they're missing they think that's normal they think that's normal for them that's their normal life so similarly if you give someone like a uh lsd if they've never had a psychedelic or lucid dream type experience then that's going to be mind-blowing for them and similarly i think that if someone who's never had an amazing lucid dream or never had a sort of rich fulfilling dream life has an amazing dream it changes their lives yeah and i was going to ask you about this what are your thoughts on sleep paralysis because that's really interesting like you know there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that that like like, you know, there's the old hag syndrome. People see, like, they're, they'll open their eyes. They can't move, but they see shadow people. People see they have alien abduction experiences. But it all seems to be related to sleep paralysis. From someone who's a dream expert like yourself, do you feel this is a condition or do you feel people are actually experiencing entities? I know what I think. I think people are experiencing something. I don't know what. I don't know if, I, if we can even define the paranormal. But, like, what do you think? Do you think it's more like a like a um uh, like an experience or is it like science in the brain or something like that i think it's a it can be everything i think it could potentially be some um thought forms it could be induced by that person who's experiencing sleep paralysis becoming scared and therefore conjuring up in there because i think with sleep paralysis when you see stuff quite often you're you're um dreaming but you are you have your eyes open and so you can see things but um you can't move so you've gone through that stage of sleep where your body's paralyzed but you are actually still awake and it can be terrifying and as soon as you think it's terrifying you'll generate visually something that's terrifying because that's a lucid dream essentially and sleep paralysis is actually an excellent way to enter a lucid dream because if you can become con if you're conscious in that in that nexus then you can control what happens in the dream space. But I do think if you start getting scared when you experience sleep paralysis, then you'll start to see scary things. Because one thing I've noticed from doing um, the wild technique for lucid dreaming, where you kind of enter a dream from being fully awake, is as soon as you think of something and you're in that hypnagogic sort of entering the lucid dream state, as soon as you think of something, it appears visually. So I think this is what's happening with sleep paralysis is you're in that paralyzed state 
quite often it happens to shift workers, people that go to bed really late or have disrupted sleep cycles or have drank alcohol. So the the sort of circadian rhythms are slightly out of whack. So you have the paralysis, but you're not fully engaged in sleeping or dreaming yet. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Now I have a couple more questions for you. Now, one one thing that my oh, can I just say one other thing as well is uh, carbon monoxide leaks are implicated in um, numerous sleep paralysis and ghost sighting experiences. So that's something I would always rule out first. That's interesting. So, so let me ask you this: like, what are your thoughts on like entities and stuff like that? Do you believe in them, or do you think they they might be tulpas or thought forms, or do you think that um, people that not even related to sleep paralysis, but just in general, do you feel like there are like uh, spirits out there or angels, entities, demons, uh, et cetera, et cetera? You know, the long list of entities. Mm, I I guess I would say. I mean, I don't know, but I would. I kind of sign up to the thought forms tulpas idea um, and that if you give something enough kind of mental energy, you can start to alter the material world and therefore you can start to create ideas and shared experiences. And you definitely, you know, we're living in a collective shared, you know, a shared experience now based upon the thoughts and feelings of everyone that's gone before us. We're kind of co-constructing our reality that's amazing um now one thing that my fans might not know is that you're a field researcher too and it's almost like i want to say i looked at your website you remind me like of an archaeologist honestly like i'm i'm amazed at some of the places you've been able to go like can you talk about some of your field work and like kind of how how maybe it strengthened your research well, um, one of the projects I'm working on at the moment is uh, with uh, Rupert Sheldrake and the British Pilgrimage Trust to try to bring back this idea of sacred sleep um, into pilgrimage experiences. So we're taking groups for walks around the UK for now and sleeping in churches and sacred spaces overnight to just see how these things affect the participants' dreams and whether or not they share any elements in their dreams and if they have connections with any particular entities or beings in those dreams as well that might be associated with that sacred site and I mean this is a very complex thing to kind of get hard data on because of course the people are in a suggestive state they are taking part in this we're already incubating a dream but I think you know for me um, I'm very interested in doing kind of studies and I want to prove that I think you can heal people through dreams because I do believe that we can activate a faith healing response with the right ingredients, if you like, for a particular healing dream. And there's something, you know, as I, I say quite often, the gods and goddesses are really useful because they act as agents in the presence of a divine entity in a dream you ecstatic euphoric experience is the healing mechanism you could call it an imaginal entity it could be a thought wow are you cut out are you still there form by giving this you are you're
<laughs> you froze yeah. again. This might work better because I'm closer to the router now. Oh, okay. I, do you think that's what it was? I don't know. I, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it seems it's sometimes a bit temperamental. Yeah. Um, but one thing, one thing I was going to say about what, when you were talking about dreams with healing, this is so fascinating. I wanted to get your opinion on this. Um, one thing that I, that I, uh, study is, uh, hypnotic regression, you know, and in hypnotic regression, you almost go into the dream state. You get, they, they take you into a very, very relaxed state where you're almost in that healing type well you know and, and i would say that regressions or, or hypnosis can even cause healing sometimes and and i have this there's a woman that i interviewed okay and she told me that before she started going to hypnosis she had some kind of weird brain tumor that was causing vision to be blocked in her eye she told me that after she didn't go to hypnosis for this like she just went to help a friend out like fulfill a project she told me that at through going through hypnosis she could feel this thing whatever it was draining in her eye after each session and after a while her condition cleared up so that's maybe that might give some credence to what you're saying that there's healing in the dream state because i would say that the hypnosis state is almost similar to the dream state what would you say yeah i mean um i think there's a um there's a term for it, hypnodelic so if you can direct these hypnodelic experiences because essentially with the kind of sacred sleep i'm talking about it's a deeply deeply entangled with hypnosis hypnotic suggestion because you are conditioned and there's a sort of neuro-linguistic programming going on all the time about you're going to have contact with the God in your dream this evening. And, and it happens, you know, if you, if you program yourself to have particular dreams, you can do it easily. So this was so much part of the culture in those days as well. So it was a completely like normal thing and understood thing to do. Um, and interestingly, when we sleep, there are certain genes that are switched on that are involved in the processes of homeostasis. So actually the homeostasis is the, is the kind of housekeeping cycles that our bodies go through to regenerate, to detoxify, to balance out hormones um, every single night when we sleep. So there is this housekeeping process happening in our bodies anyway, when we sleep and especially during deep sleep. So I think that if you are sleeping and these genes are switched on, and you also have a lucid dream experience within this um, within this sacred sleep that you're in this extraordinarily kind of unique mind body entanglement position to activate self healing responses and to direct that homeostasis that process to whatever you want it to be directed to. You know, we don't consciously think about how our body's working. And I do think that this euphoria and this bliss that's experienced in lucidity, especially when something magical and beautiful and amazing and awe-inspiring happens to us, is this fully engaged homeostasis process of um, deep engagement with the body whilst we're dreaming. That's fascinating. That is fascinating. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, uh, do you think there are any, I know they talked about mugwort on uh, coast to coast, but I was thinking more like, like, are there any herbs or nootropics that, cause I, I, I've taken nootropics before for like 
brain cognition and stuff like that. I know there's there's a like there's a, like a thousand different nootropics. There's so many, but are there any like herbs or nootropics that are safe that like help people get into a lucid dream state? And would you even recommend that? Well, with regard to nootropics, I would say anything that improves cognitive function and memory in particular, anything that's good for memory is going to be good for lucid dreaming because being lucid is about remembering who and where you are when you're there and being fully um, uh, conscious within the dream space is this interesting process of remembering. So things like lion's mane, uh, galantamine is a really interesting one because it suppresses the breakdown of acetylcholine, which is strongly implicated in dreaming. So that is almost a guaranteed lucid dream. That is a guaranteed lucid dream drug. And so that drug is something that's used in the treatment of Alzheimer's. It's an extract of snowdrop and um, certain types of daffodil bulbs. And that's a kind of go-to lucid dream inducing supplement uh my mum swears by apples and apple juice and apparently apples contain something that's really good for your memory as well so anything that's good for your memory really lion's mane helps to um strengthen neuronal connectivity and improve cognitive function and memory so that's really good the smell of rosemary essential oil is another thing that's been trialed in alzheimer uses and having a couple of drops of rosemary oil on your pillow is really good and acts as a good reminder as well that you are supposed to be remembering your dream um you mentioned choline like i i've i've, I've supplemented actually with choline before I, I is that just could you straight go to that like i i don't know if i've noticed uh, because i have lucid dreams all the time so i don't know if it's that or if it's something or if it's just like my natural state like that's why i was like but like uh, i have another question but like what what do you think about that could you go just directly to choline uh, choline it's some people say it works for them i have the same thing with um a lot of the supplements is i don't notice much difference because i find it easy to realize that i'm in a dream but um one thing i've tried that i really noticed a different quality and it was actually um that the dreams were more frenetic so it wasn't a very pleasant difference was hoopazine a i don't know if you've ever tried that it's in Alpha Brain. It's in a Joe yeah. Rogan supplement, Alpha Brain. Yeah, I've I, I've tried it maybe once or twice, but it really works though. Um. Well, it it wasn't very pleasant for me. I was lucid, but it was like the dreams had this more kind of uh physical and slightly exhausting quality to them, and a bit more kind of aggressive and fast. And I didn't really like it. It didn't really feel like my dreams. So. Um, that definitely you know that i found that interesting that was one of the few things that i took that i felt was doing something that's interesting that's so interesting and no. i haven't i don't know if i've tried galantamine actually but out of all of them you know acetylcholine is a massively important neurotransmitter in terms of dreams and um so that would be an interesting one and apparently like in folk uh, traditions in bulgaria people rub the snowdrop bulbs and leaves into their forehead. Wow. So it goes right into the pineal gland. It's probably a bit toxic, but, um, but yeah, that's, that goes to show that this is, this is um, ancient knowledge. 
Yeah, um, uh, this is a simple question, but would you say like the more pure water you have, like, I mean, I'm a big proponent for pure water. Like I have a water pitcher where I have a, a good filter on it. I have a shower filter. Like I make sure like my water is very pure, but like one thing I've noticed is like when I, when I do go to sleep now, I don't know if my pineal gland is decalcifying because I just started this water thing. Like a couple months ago, but I do notice that I, when I close my eyes and I lay down, I see more colors all the time. Do you ever see those color patterns? You know what I'm talking about? It's so cool. It's like, it's kind of like, you'll see like purples and yellows and greens, and they're, they're just kind of popping up in your eyesight, like popping up, popping up before you go into a dream state. I've noticed that more since, and I think that has something to do with the water. I'm not sure, but I, I, I really, I love spring water and I've always been into drinking, going to places where there's natural spring water and collecting it since I was a little kid. And I've always felt very intuitively that drinking clean living water is really important for this as well. And in the sleep sanctuaries, there was there was always a sacred spring associated with these sanctuaries. And because a lot of the healer gods are um, underworld chthonic entities, there is this idea of that spring that emerges from the underworld having this regenerative power. So, um, you know, there's a spring near where I live and I do notice it in my dreams whenever I drink from that particular spring. And yeah, I love drinking natural spring water. I love collecting it from source. And I do think like modern tap water is like so dead and sterile tasting that it's not very nice. Yeah, my dad... My dad works for or did used to work for a um, like a water company. And I, even when I was really little, I remember him saying to me, you know, that I shouldn't buy bottled water because it doesn't taste any different to tap water. And he used to do like taste challenges and his water tasted disgusting. And I always preferred um, mineral water. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of natural springs near me. Like I said, I use a filter, but I'm, you got me motivated to go to the spring now because like, I think there's one like right by me. It's just, you, you know, there's like a, a website you can go to and you can check like, where's your, it's called, um, find at least here in the U S it's called like find a spring or something like that. And they have yeah. them like, like marked all over the country. They're, they're all over the place. Like they're, they're more, they're more available than people would think, you know, I, I, I think how are they over there? Um, they, there are a few, I mean, where I live, there's two, there's one Calibia and there's one, um, uh, white spring that's, that as tastes delicious and is really cold. Um, so that's always reassuring when it's really cold. Cause it usually means it's come from deep under the earth. And I think there's something about, you know, beyond filtered water about that kind of, um, imprint and memory of water when it's natural when it's come out through the earth when it's gone through rocks um and something about the sort of living energies in that water you know it's it's just purely from source i had this beautiful dream the other night actually where i was um drinking from the source of a river and i had this epiphany within the dream that i was drinking from the fountain of youth because it's the birth of a river i was drinking that first birth of the river and the first place where it emerges into the earth and so therefore it was really healing so did that did that go off i'm sorry i don't know it seemed to right my end oh it was my my alarm was i don't know why that was set like that but um i don't have any i want a couple of questions like okay i have to ask these questions like why do we have nightmares 
it's usually trauma we're attempting to process. It's one of the issues with taking antidepressants and smoking a lot of weed is we suppress REM sleep when we do this. For most people, it suppresses REM sleep. Um, and if you suppress REM sleep, then you don't get that beneficial emotional resolution when you have traumatic instances occur. So, um, you know, dreaming in a kind of basic neurological emotional health purpose in terms of that function of dreaming which we now know in terms of sleep science that's the evolutionary function of dreaming is to discharge emotional traumatic experiences so that we learn from them and we develop and evolve that's seen as being like the evolutionary function of dreaming so if we are suppressing REM sleep we're not having those opportunities to integrate to discharge emotional trauma, which is quite often why, especially with long-term um, usage of either antidepressants or weed, you get this um, stuck in a rut emotionally and it's difficult to expand and evolve and grow on and kind of often there'll be like a living in the past aspect because whenever you started that process is where you still are at if your REM has been blocked from that point on. That's interesting. What, and then would that be the same for sex dreams as well? Like, is that why people, is it to release emotion? It can be. I mean, it depends on the nature of the sex dream. But for me, like the sex dream, and especially coming to orgasm in a dream, is like really good evidence of the fact that dream content can activate biophysical responses because people can come to orgasm in dreams. That suggests that by visual dream stimuli, your body is responding physically. So if you think that's possible, then um, a placebo effect must also be possible in the dream state. If, for example, you meet a healer who passes hands over you and you have this divine ecstatic feeling in your body. If, if you talk to a lot of guys, though, they'll tell you that they can't do an orgasm in the dream. Though They'll say like, they wake up right before it happens. Like, it's well, <laughs> so funny. Well, <laughs> some people say true. that that's like, um, you know, you orgasm if you're in a lucid dream because you're more engaged. Your mind and body are more engaged. Um, so, so, yeah, it depends on the quality of dream, but certainly plenty of people do. And and this this takes me this is uh, this takes me back to the original question is and and I know you don't I don't think you agree but I think these might be some kind of I mean I I tend to believe in like a lot of simulation theory and like parallel realities so I guess I I just tend to believe that maybe this is another reality that we're experiencing or I like to think it is because it, it makes me think that well I don't know if you agree with me or not but I'm just saying like I this I, it makes me think that we're experiencing some other reality because it seems like to go with kind of what you said, like consciousness is so undefined. It's so, um, it's so raw. Like, wh what do we know about it? You know what I mean? It, it, it's so, uh, it's just so a word. It's a word that we've invented. Like, what does it even mean? It's, it can't be fully and properly described. There's this real weird reductionist mentality with regards to that and with regards to what do you do to prove consciousness? Just extract, like, EEG data or MRI scans to prove that something's happening. I mean, it seems ridiculous. To me, our focus should be on um, expanding our pleasure and joy and connectivity to the world, you know, and any anything we can do to create that, even if it's imaginal fantasy, as long as it's like healthy and good for people, I think is good. And I think that 
we need to invest in in dreaming and we need to think especially about um sleep health and hygiene for future generations because there's a massive sleep deprivation crisis among teenagers now because they're addicted to devices and for their entire lives they've had devices and they've not been sleeping very well as a result of that and without that sleep without that deep restorative sleep and without that REM sleep you're going to end up with a lot of dysfunctional adults does that basically cause disease does that cause disease because your body's not getting the recovery it needs right Exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, lack of sleep is implicated in every possible conceivable health issue going. Can I ask you a question? I, 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 this is kind of off the topic, but it's, it's very interesting. Like I've been going through a lot lately. So like I'll sleep a little bit at night. Like, I, I mean, I'll sleep decent. It's not great. I'll admit it. It's not great. And then I sleep a couple of times. Like I'll take like naps throughout the day, like in between work or like, you know, like, I, and I'm trying not to do that, but like, can that still be beneficial if you're not getting the sleep at night? Like, or is that not good that it's split up like that? And if you, if it isn't, how do you fix that? Is there a way to? Well, there is this idea of chronotypes, which is like certain people are just naturally night owls and some people are naturally morning larks. So to try to go to bed when you're not ready usually isn't very useful. Um, I think it's probably better to spread sleeping out throughout the course of a day than to try and force yourself to sleep and develop insomnia and really struggle to sleep. So for insomniacs, I would always recommend that they try to have afternoon naps or do yoga nidra with the hope that without the pressure of sleeping through a full night, they're more likely to relax and therefore more likely to fall asleep. Also with insomnia now, there's like new evidence that sort of shows that, you know, if you are in insomniac, it's usually the result of a busy mind syndrome. So you just can't stop thinking about stuff. So the last thing you want to be doing is lying down in bed if you're in, you know, if you're in that mode. So um, often physical activities like sleep yoga or certain yoga positions can really help you if you suffer from insomnia. And then also just allowing time during the day to have some sleep I mean this is also another reason as well why our ancestors may have remembered more dreams and been more likely to be lucid more regularly is because they were unlikely to actually have this eight hour sleep cycle they probably had like biphasic sleep were um, more interrupted during the night sleep due to like communal sleeping conditions um, animals smoke um, you know keeping an eye open for danger so this probably helped cultivate more REM sleep and therefore more lucid dreaming. That's interesting. So uh, the last question I have for you is what are your thoughts on binaural beats? I know we talked a little bit about Robert Monroe, but like there's a lot of like a lot of times I'll go to sleep, like I'll listen to like and like a random binaural beat I can find on YouTube. You know, there's a lot of meditative ones. I didn't know if you thought those were good or what do you what do you if they're I, it's hard to tell because there's so many different ones, you know? Yeah, I'm quite fussy about um, sound um, and I've tried binaural beats. I generally don't like to sleep with like headphones or anything like that on. So I don't generally like to have any kind of device in my bedroom. So uh, the one, the thing that I find makes me fall asleep really deeply and quickly is um, I've got a weighted eye mask oh. and I just find that affects me in this absolutely instantaneous way it's like holding an animal in a darkened room it just makes me kind of full, feel completely relaxed really quickly 
Um, if I if I ever go through any phases of, of finding it difficult to fall asleep, I find the yoga posture when you have your legs against a wall, doing that for like 20 minutes or so can really help relax my nervous system. Um, one thing that I'm a huge advocate for is um, natural materials for bedding and your bed. And I think that a lot of nightmares are caused by overheating at night. And memory foam is the main culprit for that, I would say. That's awesome. That's, that, this is awesome stuff. Well, this has been fascinating. Um, thank you so much. I don't have any other questions. And uh, if you could tell everybody where to find you and anything else you want to promote. And thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure, Rob. So my website is themysteries.org. And I think I've got pretty much everything up on the website at the moment and at the moment I am my main project is I'm working on a conference well conference symposium art installation in Athens the 23rd of October to the 29th of October called Dream Palace and this is a kind of immersive theatre experience mixed with um, a philosophical scientific and creative symposium exploring every conceivable aspect of sleep and dreams that's awesome and now that's going to be in athens you're doing like a like a guided tour or what or like a like a guided trip or, or will the people just meet there or how's it gonna we're hiring a venue and so we're gonna have this whole venue and curate this whole venue and the idea is that we want to uh, curate this space so that it feels like you're entering into an a dream state when you cross the threshold into this place because we're going to make it all um also beautiful, creative, immersive, very sort of like smoke and mirrors and um, as close to a dream type experience as you could possibly experience, you know, you could possibly have. And one one thing we're considering, I mean, this first year that we're doing it is a kind of proof of concept event, but something that we're working on is building a website where future participants can um, input their dreams and we can pull various elements and aspects out of their dreams and 3D print them so that when you come to our dream symposium, it feels like there's elements of your own dream woven into the fabric of our installation. That is that is insanely awesome. I, I got to have more information about that. Now, when people go to your website, do you have like a newsletter that they can sign up for? or Because like, and if we sign up for the newsletter, will we get the information about the trip or how do you get the information about the trip? There's a contact page on my website. So if you just um, contact me, my email address is up there and everything. I can um, send you all the information as I get it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Well, thank you so much again. And uh, wow, this was amazing. I can't wait to post it. I'll send you a link when I post it. Thanks, Rob. I hope you have really good dreams. Um, yeah, thank you. You too. Bye.